0: This is the Seafarer Investor Podcast, bringing you the Tyson investing and personal finance, from to millennial seafarers and alike. I am your host, Soshin, a full-time seafarer, a value investor, and a personal finance enthusiast. Welcome to episode 31. In today's episode, I will be having an interesting guest and also quite the contrary on the kind of people that I have in the show as my guest is a quantitative trader or a quant for short however i believe in the diversity of knowledge and not closing doors on learnings as my conversation with this guest was really insightful especially on areas of risk management and controlling your own Biases, which is also important in long-term value investing. So my special guest for today is Mike Tan, co-founder of Vanguard AI Analytics, an algorithmic trading platform company based in the Philippines. Mike Tan conveys his thoughts really well, and I enjoyed our conversation in a sense that both of us are in the opposite side of the spectrum, with him being a trader and me an investor. So our exchange is a fun one, with healthy discussions even on opposing ideas. Before we move to our conversation itself, this interview was actually recorded several months ago, August 2022 to be exact. So if there's some current market talk or something that seems outdated, then that's the reason. (laughs) So now, without further ado, let's go to my conversation with Mike Tan of VAI Analytics. Mike Tan, welcome to the Seifer Investor Podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks
1: for, for having me.
0: Yes um I really appreciate you being here on the show and I am excited also because as I said before we started recording it's not every day that I get to talk to a sophisticated sophisticated trader like yourself and because mostly uh, I have in the podcast are people that are into long term investing so having you here is quite new and interesting so I'm 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 excited for our conversation <laughs> yeah well, hopefully I
1: can um uh... You know, add value and shed some more light on on what I do and basically how I trade. Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm 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 sure you will. <laughs> so before we go to the main questions, I I have this kind of uh um tra- not called tradition, but what I do is I ask my guests with a curious question first before delving into the main topic. So so as I was researching about you, I found in your LinkedIn profile that you did a Cinematography class in Moel, Moel Fund Film Institute yeah. way, way back. So, <laughs> so, my curious question is what made you stop doing cinematography, or is that still your passion now outside the finance industry?
1: Okay. For one, I, I didn't know that's still there in my LinkedIn. But, um, <laughs> yeah, again, as, as a person, I, I like trying different things. So, when I was um, younger, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. So, but mm-hmm. What I what I did basically was to try different things. So I set up a small restaurant, I did mobile fund, I did photography, um, I did marketing, um, I did consulting, all this all of these Whoa. things. So actually the funny thing is, um the the subject that I didn't want to do was math. But I ended up in finance. So yeah, that's that's the irony of my life. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So,
1: yeah, so now I, I'm not too much uh, into cin- cinematography anymore. Um, all, all the photography I do is just for my wife. You know, when we go out of town, so that that's all mm-hmm. the all the photography I do right now.
0: Yeah, but do you have any like passions, like you know, like side hobbies that you do that you do outside of finance industry?
1: Before I, I game a lot before. So I do play my PlayStation. I have, I had my friends. Um, and then basically I grew up, I grew out of, of playing games. Um, so Mm -hmm. now all I do is basically just focus on trading. Um, yeah, it it sounds like, you know, such a nerd thing to say, but, um, I I do read books on my downtime. I, uh, ever since I got a Kindle, I've been reading nonstop on my free, free time. Um, and during work, I, I mean, I do trade. I look at charts. It's basically what I do the whole day, and I, en- I enjoy it actually.
0: Yeah, you're not alone. I'm also a nerd, so yeah. <laughs> and actually, I, I share your sentiment. When I got my, my Kindle, also, I I it's I cannot stop reading. It's really it's really good. I mean, I I because before I'm you know anti ebooks because e e-books are you know for. Yeah for once i I like physical books but i I still do i still do Mm. but you know with kindle and with my profession as a seafarer it's really it's really heavy to bring a lot of books i I used to bring like 10 books in every contract and it 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 occupies half of my luggage but now with kindle it's really nice and also the paper is you know it's 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 really easy in the yeah. eye. So yeah, it's really nice.
1: I used to I used to love collecting books. So I have you know, bookshelves there full of uh, finance books and business books. Um I, I used to try I I try to read like one or order by one book a month, but again mm-hmm. with Kindle I basically read one one whole book a week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's it really it's really amazing. amazing amazing product. So now to to move on and you know go to the main topic of the questions i want to start with can you share to the uh, to the listeners on who you are and where you are now in the finance industry especially on what you do in the stock market space which is really interesting mm-hmm.
1: okay so um i i've been in the industry for the past 12 years i started around 20 20- 10 as a professional. So I started out as a stockbroker um, with Unicapital Securities. So that I started my, mm-hmm. my career with them. Um, and basically I handled both retail and institutional accounts. So I did discretionary trading, prop trading, advisory. Um, to the point that we I also spearheaded you know, the creation of a private fund. Uh, I think it's it was around 450 million at that time. Um, mm-hmm. Um yeah, and I've been doing that for nine years in, in Unica. Um but around 2017 I kind of um um laid low in day in day trading because before I was very active trading. Basically, I, I do day trading all the time. It was a bull market, right? Um and basically 2017 I kind of stepped back and did um longer-term investing, uh, different strategy for for me. Um very risky but high reward strategies. Um, And then while I'm doing that, I set up my own consulting firm. So I did different things again. um, I I did consulting for finance, structuring. Some of them wanted to go public. So it's one thing that's very close to Mm. my heart. I want a lot more of the SMEs to really, you know, um, uh, go public, right? Because um, there's still a lot of misconceptions when it comes to, you know, going public and and if you see uh, how, you know, local companies are, are built, um, there's a lot of things to be still needs to be fixed before they can go public. So that was what I was doing around 2017, uh, 18, 19. And then I came back to the market actually post COVID. And so I saw the market mm. crash and I say, Hey, it's a, another good opportunity for, for me to basically be very active again in the market. Um, so around 2020. Um, I set up, um, my, my own analytics company called VAI Analytics. Okay. So I wanted to, you know, really focus on the algorithmic style of trading of analy- analysis. Um, and that's where, where, I am right now. So I, I still handle funds, but, um, I now mostly I handle my funds under mercantile securities, right? But the strategies that we use are developed under my company called VAI Analytics. So the, that's, um, where my algo is
0: mm-hmm. so you're, you're, so you're, you mentioned you, you're doing long-term investing. Are you still you're doing that now or you just side sidestep or Oh no more. From the
1: lo- long-term investing, I basically um, closed all my positions there, I, I took profits, and I was um, a big chunk in cash around 2017, 18, 19. It, basically I, th- those years I wasn't really heavily investing in the market. And then when I came back, now we uh, with my algo, uh, it's basically mm-hmm. a swing trading um, trend following strategy. Um, if you look at the time frame, we typically hold stocks for around um, three months uh, on average. So that that's mm-hmm. um, how how long uh, the time frame for my strategy.
0: Mm, so so how's how's the trading space? You know, I, I've seen that you're doing trading in the Philippines. So how's the trading space? Uh, doing in in our country.
1: Well, right now it's really very volatile with a lot of you know <laughs> things happening. Um, there's just you see, war in in Russia and Ukraine, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are scared now. With there there might be another war with with Taiwan and China, right? Um, plus, you know, things went crazy after COVID. We we thought that was it. Uh, we thought everything was recovering, but of course, there's going to be some fallout from from the damages from COVID. So we are experiencing. Experiencing that. Um, aside from that, um, again, I'm, I'm always, you know, on the lookout for for good deals in the market. Especially, you know, um, not everything's gonna fall down. Right? There's going to be, you know, strong winners, strong stocks that will still make you money.
0: So I want to ask now, like, what does it mean to be a quant quant trader, and how does it differ in doing the usual trading of stocks?
1: Yeah. Okay. Quant trading basically is just using data um, to make data-driven decisions. That's what quant mm-hmm. is. Um, so if you look at the type of analysis, there's basically two big right, um, schools of thought. right? There's a fundamental analysis where mm-hmm. the goal is to buy as cheap as possible, right? um, but time is not factored in. Now that's a that's pr- problem I have with fundamental analysis. You, you might buy it cheap, uh, but it can be cheap for the next five to 10 years, right? And mm-hmm. it's not going to serve you any, any better. Um, now for technical analysis, they, they deal more with timing. They don't really care about valuation, but time is very important to them. So, um, my, my algorithm mostly deals with technical analysis. So in my, in my model, we, we don't factor in like, um, you know, right. revenues or return on equity or cash flow stuff like that. It's purely purely technicals. So that that's um uh, what I do with my algorithm. So that, that's the difference. And actually, if you look at it, um, quant trading or algo trading is actually just you know a deeper version of technical analysis. People don't realize mm-hmm. that technical analysis is actually si- simple statistics uh, that we actually use in our models. Um, if you look at um, the commonly used indicators like moving average, in statistics, mm-hmm. that's basically called the mean, um, which is actually the same the average, right? Um, and then the way we measure volatility, we mainly use standard deviation, okay? Um, if you want to ma- uh, use standard deviation as an indicator in your charts, that's basically the Bollinger Band, a mean mm-hmm. with two standard deviations, so technical analysis is actually a, f- um, a form of, of quant trading. The difference only is that, you know, with, with um, an algorithm, you remove all forms of subjectivity, right? Because in, in, mm-hmm. in technical analysis, if we, we also use, you know, patterns, and there's some level of subjectivity in patterns. Um, some will see this kind of pattern, another person will see a different kind of pattern depending on their time frame or their biases, right? But with mm-hmm. algorithms... If you set those parameters, there's no biases. Um, and so it's you're really basically,
0: yeah, you're basically removing the human element in the yes. equation.
1: And you know the, the story here is why I wanted because I, I'm mainly a technical kind of trader. Um, even even when I was doing this, um, when I started my career, I started a fundamentalist, and then I, I mix both fundamentals and technicals, and then now I'm gravitating, and then I gravitated more into technical. Um, trading, um, and then with, with this algo, you know, pure pure technicals already. But um, the reason why I wanted to do a, a real uh, an algo model that I'll just follow is because uh, personally I'm very bad at um, self discipline when it when it comes to trading.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I, I might know. And I, I teach and i know technicals i know support resistance or what you should do what you should not do but when it comes to the actual trading it's different right? you, you don't follow your rules um you, you, <laughs> you that you try to rationalize why you shouldn't do this like, like example you bought a stock at, at one peso and it starts dropping below one um you mm-hmm. know you have a psychological cut loss point at let's say 90 cents but you don't cut it why? Because uh, you try to rationalize. Maybe it's gonna bounce back, you know. No, the valuations <laughs> is so low, a cheap at this price. So, yeah. and then, and then, you know, then it breaks down and then goes lower and then you cut it at the at the worst possible time. Now, but mm-hmm. with with an algo, now I remove all of those away. I just follow the signals because I did the model, right? I did a back test, so I know, mm-hmm. you know, the behavior of the model when when it wins, when it loses. Um, I just follow the signals. Now, if it tells me to buy, I just buy. You know, I don't rationalize why I shouldn't buy, <laughs> like, or and the opposite is true. If it tells me to cut my losses now, I don't say, hey, maybe it's gonna bounce back tomorrow. Maybe I should wait one more day or one more week. So it just you know, <laughs> just sell that sell that stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. So I want to ask also about um. I don't know if this is a problem with technical analysis, but this is how I see it. But th- the problem with, you know, if you're using, you know, moving averages and, and you know, Bollinger Bands, and I, and you know that it's not the only, you're not the only one that is, you know, using those patterns, you know, or technical analysis. Does it um, degrade the efficiency or, you know, the profitability of this technical patterns? Because more more and more people, are using it you know as we know it it degrades in proficiency if more and more people are using
1: okay it depends um um, especially on on what kind of strategy you're you're using Um, let's Mm -hmm. say it's more um obvious in arbitrage types of trades because eventually people will see the arbitrage there and it's going to you know um uh, it's going to basically even out okay but for, um, the usual technical, you know, indicators, actually, you know what? It, it's really, doesn't really matter that much. Right? If you all use the same indicators, because if you look at it, we all, we all are using the same indicators, but some mm-hmm. of us are making money. Some of us don't make money. It, it, it's trading is really more than the indicators. It's really, you know, the strategy as a whole. It's more about risk management. Uh, and it's actually one of the things I keep telling my traders. Um, I, I don't mind if you just use simple strategies. If it's a mediocre strategy, I don't mind. As long as you have proper risk management, as long as you follow your rules, you're going to do great at the, in the end, or at least you're, you're not going to, you're going to survive, right? Uh, for a long period of time. Um, yeah. So for me, we use simple indicators. You use simple indicators. It doesn't matter. It, what's important is risk management
0: mm-hmm. so before I, I i want to ask about the, your risk uh how you handle risk but i want to walk back a bit before we go really deep now into this one i want to ask like you, you said you, you you don't like math you know in the in our, our first conversation but so what what made you go into trading equities or to be more specific, do quant trading, which is, I believe, requires a lot of math. Okay, <laughs> I hate math, but I love money. <laughs> oh yes, simple,
1: simple. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the short version of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, again, I I started out as a, uh, I studied marketing. I I want. I also had some interest in economics, but I went with marketing because I hated math. But, um, Mm -hmm. apparently there's some statistics in marketing. So that's how I, I learned about those those things. And, um, I didn't really see myself as becoming, you know, a professional trader from, from the start. Um, it just so happened that, you know, it's, it was so hard for me to get a job in marketing. So nobody wanted me. So because in a firm, there's only like, what, one, two marketing people that, that runs mm-hmm. the firm, right? So um, there's so much marketing people and not much job vacancies. Right? So I ended up working with, in, in our family business with my dad, um, working in the factory, right? Um, and I just doubled in trading because, again, I wanted to, to learn and I wanted to make money. And then one day, um, around 2010, they, they told me, you know, there was an opening with UniCapital where do do not try. Um, it was something that, you know, I didn't really thought of. I just went there and applied and I, I got the job. And that's basically how it started. And I, I did, you know, everything was self study. I, I studied everything from, from the ground up by myself. And I took courses. Um, and then I think it was around 20, a few years after that I took my master's in financial engineering so i really got into it and i really went you know went all out i studied i got my master's um and that that's that's how i how I grew as a trader and i have to appre- it's then that i i appreciated the math about, around behind everything <laughs> right so when I was in school, they keep on telling you you know compute the variation compute the standard deviation but And you don't know what that is. Well, why why should we do it? Right. I I know it's Mm -hmm. volatility, but what does it mean? I mean, what does volatility mean? Right. It's when you were actually, I was actually trading real money that I find out. ah, Okay. So this is what it meant. And I appreciated it. And now I I went deeper to, you know, it's actually around 2020 when, when I really made the made the company, right? I built the company. I went back to review all my statistics, you know, the actual mm-hmm. formulas. Because when we were making the program, it, it's not like you Google something like, put the standard deviation into my program. No, we have to program <laughs> everything, all the formulas by ourselves, right? So mm-hmm. I have my dev- developer, who's also my partner, told, tells me, you know, Mike, I, I tell him, okay, Graf, yeah, he, my partner's name is Graf. Graf, can you put the RSI in? Okay, sir. Can you give me the formula? Okay, wait. Um, I have to compute it in the Google Sheets first to make sure the formula is correct. So we <laughs> have to go through all of those, right? There, there's no like cut and paste thing that we, we have to do.
0: So, so basically, to you basically got got in love in the process itself by doing yes. it. And then yes, you appreciate it.
1: The, the very important part, the most important part, the process. Um, again, when you're making an algorithm, it's basically a whole strategy, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to love the process because for me, it took me... It's basically all 10 years of my past experiences. I tried to model it out, okay? But the first mm-hmm. model actually failed. It lost money. So I had to do so many iterations, you know, um, fact-finding, you know, why did the model fail? Where is it failing? Where is it succeeding? Um, and it took me actually around 6 months to create the base model and then another 6 months to optimize it so it it's a long process and even now i have the the model done um it's from time to time i still have to update it and optimize mm. it because again the world is not a static thing right um the volatilities we experienced during covid and during the ukraine war was so out of this world so different that the model had not you know um uh, accounted for, so you have to update your model for those to account for those
0: Mm-hmm. uh well, while you were talking, I kind of remembered a book uh I don't know maybe perhaps you've read this, but the book uh, about market wizards by Jack schwager, yeah, yeah, I remember so many traders they're like unbelievable returns that is consistent for not only years but decades so 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 my question is like how how do you think you can you know, replicate it with this kind of algorithm or quant trading. And my, my, my point actually is because there's so much, uh, the, the probability of a trader being really consistent in the long term, um, turning out, performing returns, then the market is really slim. So how, how do you approach that kind of dilemma in being, in, being, in being a trader?
1: Yeah, it's really, again, going back to risk management and discipline. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course, you have to have discipline. You can't, you know, go back on, on your trading plan. If this is what your plan is and it tells you to cut your losses or take your profits, you have to do it. No, no question asked. Discipline is something that you have to have. Um, but when you're creating your model or, or, or your trading plan, risk management is number one. Um, and I, I appreciated that more when I was, you know, in the process of creating my model. Um, I was, when I did it, the first focus for me is, of course, the quality of the signals. I want every Mm. buy signal to be high quality that makes me money. And only a small number of it, you know, um, loses money, right? Um, But it it didn't turn out that way. What happened was the more I modeled um, risk management in, the more money I made. Mm. So it's basically, you know, um, uh, what what do I mean by risk management? Meaning... um, um, Again, when you have your trailing stops, you know when a stock becomes very volatile, you exit your trade. If it becomes you know over overextended, you exit your trade. You take some profits. So trading is not really um, um, all in all out kind of thing. So you mm-hmm. kind of scale in to your winners, right? And you scale out of your you can scale out of your losers or just you know cut your losers. And that's that's actually one way of you know being to become consistent over long periods of years if you, if you look at these traders even those um, in in Jack's book a lot of them a lot of them a lot of them will tell you that you know they don't have like 50 60 percent winning winning uh, mm. uh, a winning ratio it's mostly 40 to 50 percent uh, winning ratio but how could they make so much money it's because every time they lose they lose a small portion because they scale into their positions so that's that's very important again it's risk management. So for me in my model, it's the same thing. Um, if I see a buy signal, I just go in because it's the first tranche. I'm scaling it to my positions. If I lose, if I lose on that trade, I mean, it's not going to hurt me. I just cut the losses. There's no emotions involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of the traders I've seen, especially younger traders, they, they put a large enough position in one trade because they want that trade to make money right away. Right. But that doesn't happen, and then you know prices go down. They become emotional. They panic. They sell. Then it goes back up again. Yeah, um, it messes with the whole psyche.
0: Mm-hmm. So now that we're talking about risk management, I want to ask you about you know on the topic of risk because I'm I'm curious on your take on this. As in my style of doing value investing, I I view risk as more on. I'm not really a pure fundamentalist, but yes, I I view risk as more of the odds of a business or company's value going zero. So relating it more on the fundamentals, you know, than the price itself. So as a quant trader, how do you view risk? Okay.
1: Um, Maybe um, taking a step back for fundamentals in valuation, your expectation is that you do all this research. And when, um, uh, you have to have a high hit rate, meaning every mm-hmm. time you, you, you value a company, you know, it has to be correct for, for technicals and quants. We don't really care if it's correct or not because, um, we go in, it's wrong. It, we all base it on price. It's wrong. We, we get out, right? So that's, that's how, that's the difference between, you know, for the, how fundamentalists, you know, look at risk versus how quants, uh, well, for for me, technicals, you know, look at risk. Okay, so we we yeah, don't care if we're we're wrong, right? We we just get out, and then if um the trade you know goes back into play, we just come back in.
0: Yes. Um. I would want to ask now, with uh, because you've been doing this for uh, the trading or or your whole professional, it's already a decade now. I want to ask, like, what's the biggest misconception you know that people think about doing trading in general? What do people think of you?
1: They think uh, trading is gambling, so that, that's number one,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's you no, know, not not really gambling. Um, it's a, it's the person that makes it a gamble, right? It's a trader mm. that makes it into something that's that's like gambling, right? But you know, trading is all about probabilities. Right? What is the probability that's going to go up, going to go down? Uh, that's why we want we, we recommend people to scale into their positions because the probability is in their favor because the trend is going up, right? Um, now, um, another misconception or, or something that I don't like doing is averaging down. Right? Um, th- there is another side to that. I heard somebody say, you know, you can average down as long as the trend is up. So that's the only time you can average down Mm. because the overall trend is going up. But um, in in general, I don't like averaging down. But the misconception there is, okay, the stock is cheaper now. So I should buy more, right? And then they keep doing that and doing that and doing that. Um, And then it takes years to to recover. Even if it's a blue chip stock, let's say it's a very nice company, um, Mm -hmm. very profitable company. But, um, again, if you keep buying it at a lower, lower price because there's no demand, there's so much supply, not, nothing's happening, uh, in the end, you don't make money. So, yeah, I, I don't like yeah. averaging down. Um, again, if, if you're going to, you know, double down on a bet, right, on a, on a, on a stock that, on a stock, you want to double down on something that's going up, and right? You don't want to double down on something going down. Because again, uh, uh, the thing we, we, we've uh we find important is time, right? That that's the main thing, time, as opposed to value.
0: Yeah. It's really like an opposite way of what I do yes. and with you, because I'm because with with fun, fundamentals, you know, in value investing, you if the business, you know, um business um thesis or the thesis still holds, you know, the the company is still, you know, growing revenues, you know, growing free cash flow and such and the price goes down because of market market timing and, and such you, you re- i kind of rejoice because i, I have more <laughs> i can buy more shares and, in a lower price In a, it's a sale for me and it's it, it's quite interesting in take of you because I, I in a trader's perspective that's when that's the time you should go out so Mm-mm. so it's really it's really a nice dynamic that because of of uh, the interaction between, you know, the fundamental investors and the traders. it's It kind of makes the market, you know, a bit inefficient and efficient at the same time. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, the markets are really inefficient. I mean, that's the only reason where we're making money because the markets Money, in- yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It really is. Uh, and, and, you know, p- people are emotional. Right? If you mm-hmm. look at technical analysis, uh, what you're looking at, you're studying, is actually behavior. Right? People's behavior, the emotions... Um and that's what you're capitalizing on. That's what we are trying to quanti- quantify. So in our models, um let's we we have some some uh some calculations there where we say you know prices has gone up too high too fast. Um so we think that it's driven by, by emotion, so we should be scaling down. So we mm-hmm. we we try to account for that because technical analysis and charts, it's all about human behavior and emotion.
0: Right, yeah, so basically, it's technical analysis is human behavior quantified, yes, <laughs> so well, yes,
1: exactly, <laughs> and um, it has not changed for decades, right?
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember um, this 1920s trader, um, Dar- Dar- that 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 popularized right. this Darvas, yeah, yes,
1: yes, and that you point. can still use Darvas boxing trading today, right? Mm-hmm. But the but when you look at, um, uh, Graham's um, guidelines on value investing, um, mm-hmm. you can't use the same ratios anymore. I mean, you can't. No, find no, stocks the
0: book value, book, book value is not really.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that he he had to go through various editions already because times are changing and fundamentals are always changing. Mm-hmm. So that, so yeah. that's a the principles are the same, but the the metrics are already different.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of uh, it's kind of funny because I still see people using you know the Graham number, <laughs> and, uh, and and man, you're not accounting the in, intangible book value of a company. You know, if it's a software company and you're using Graham, so my, you're 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 kind yeah. of crazy. Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, no, None of those things exist, existed back then. So mm-hmm. why would you say, use the same metrics?
0: Right? Yeah, so I I want to ask now with to to know if you have any you know hero in the quant trading space because uh, like with me in in investing it's of course it's warren buffett and and chuck Aker. so in your case who's your hero in the trading space
1: for me uh right now it's actually mark minervini he's he's not a quant trader Mm -hmm. but he's a very systematic kind of trader um And is one of the people I really look up to. I read all of his books, um, and when I was reading the books, everything sort of clicked for me. Mm-hmm. Again, um, in my career, I came from a kind of uh, a day trader, a short-term trader. That that's what I've been doing for so many years, and then I had to shift all my all my effort into something that's very disciplined, trend-following system that's long-term. Before I didn't even bother using you know 200 move 200 day moving average for me it's I mean, that's right, it, you know that, that's too long 200 moving average I, I use like the longest is thirty days right I, it's very fast so it's a totally um uh hundred eight degree sh- shift in in my my mentality um and i was and, and actually that uh was happening when I was doing my algorithm because I found out the way I'm doing it was wrong <laughs> basically i'm not gonna make money if i'm gonna do it you know uh model it out and then it when i was doing it i, I was reading uh, i came across his, his books and everything kind of kind of like, hey this is um some things that i've been doing and this is the thing he has been doing um a lot of it is overlapping and it, I, I got a lot of insights from him so he is actually one of the heroes that i, I look up to
0: Mm-hmm. I was kind of expecting you to mention also, you know, Jim Simons with his Medallion Fund, because he's yeah. like the pure algo trader. Yeah. But
1: uh, <laughs> the, the the algorithms he does is 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 really very different. It's very high. Um, um, it, it doesn't fit the local market. You can only do, do those mm-hmm. in highly sophisticated markets and you know complex markets mm-hmm. like, like the US. Um, but locally, you can't do those strategies. So I do admire him because it's your pure, mm-hmm. pure quant. And if you look at the returns, wow, right? You um, <laughs> really can't beat it's those. Crazy, it's crazy. It's yes, crazy. Yeah. He, he, he like returned uh, 50% a year net of fees to, to his investors. Yeah. So that, that's kind of crazy. But if you want somebody that you can replicate, I mean, Mark I Miravini mean, is the one.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to ask also because you mentioned James Simon's algorithm only applies to sophisticated markets. So, why, why, may, what made you, you know, do trading here in the Philippines as it's kind of infamous for, you know, low liquidity yes. and such?
1: That's actually a good question. And I often get asked that question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because one, um, it's my expertise. So, I've been trading local markets. So, I know. Um, number two, I really like. I would really like to help you know the local market to, to improve the local market I mean that's one of the reasons why I took a step back in 2017 because nothing was happening for the past seven years that I was there. Um, we were trading the, the same stocks the same group of families um, we had one ETF um, <laughs> it, 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 ReITs was you know having a hard time you know going to market um, so I kind of stepped Back and, and do other did other things and when I went back and I saw everything was still the same right so we we, st- we still have one etF <laughs> you know but we, we have REITs.
0: Right? <laughs> but we have reads now so yeah, yeah we have REITs.
1: I so I wanted to to create you know more and more tools and more and more stuff for local traders for the local market right so that, that's actually one one of the things why you know it's a deliberate des- decision for me to stay local because when we were doing our algorithms. We were discussing, should we do it for crypto? We can. I mean, the data is readily available. All the APIs are there. Um, mm-hmm. Do we want to use it in the US? Same. All the data, all the APIs are there. But if you look at the local market, there's no APIs here, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing. So all the local traders are actually going to other markets, right? There's less liquidity here. The costs here are high. Um but yeah, so I, it it's one of the things I wanted to do. I want to create more and more tools for local traders so that we can help, you know, the local liquidity also. Now, if you look at the market um, during COVID, um, actually pre COVID, seventy percent, sixty percent of our daily transactions in the PAC came from foreign funds, right? But during mm-hmm. COVID, it was majority majority came from from locals, right, from retail. So that's just what I wanted to to do for for the Philippine market also you know, to basically unlock the potential of retail traders because they are there. I mean, it, it's not like, you know, Filipinos have no money. It's not mm-hmm. like Filipinos are not sophisticated. They are. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at, you know, crypto adaptation, I mean, Philippines is basically the top 10 in, in crypto. <laughs> now, if you look at the share of wallet in their investments, um, typically, typically, they would teach you in school is that you know the biggest part would form would be allocated to the lowest risk asset, and then you know the next one is then the the riskier asset than the most mm-hmm. risky asset. But if you look at the local market, it's like uh, a lot of it is in low low risk asset like cash. And then the next one is Bitcoin or crypto, <laughs> then equities. Right? So it's very weird. It's,
0: right? so- yeah, weird.
1: It's not that Filipinos are not sophisticated or don't have money. It's really the local infrastructure that's lacking. So that's mm. what I wanted to bridge, uh, when, my, when I started my, my company. We started with algorithms. Now we are actually, you know, creating tools for traders. Um, we actually have one, um, in beta test right now. Uh, it's called Vini. Yeah. So it's yeah. basically an automated uh, portfolio tracking tool for for traders. And what we do, what we did is we, you know, integrate it with a brokerage. So you don't have to do anything. Mm. Everything is automated. Um, wow. So well, basically, our, our first product, we are um, three brokerages signed up with us already. They want to use our, our platform to integrate with their brokerage. So the first one that's launching would be with AAA Equities. Uh, the next mm. one is with Mercantile. Securities and of course, unicapital securities. So, those are the three that would uh, first have, you know, our our product. So, we're going to um, basically calculate all the metrics of your trading, of your portfolio. So, we'll tell you what's your win rate, what's your risk to reward ratio. Because, again, if you want to be a good trader, you have to know all of these things. You have to know all of your metrics. It's
0: it's journaling. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Basically, yeah, correct. It's a type of journaling. But instead of, you know, exporting everything in a ledger, putting everything yeah. in Excel and computing it, we do it for you. And everything is is verified, right? Um, and then um, because everything is verified, we actually will be coming out with uh, leaderboards. So now you mm. know who are the top traders. <laughs> right? So, you know, there's a lot of um, gurus in the market, coaches, right? Yeah. So now the problem is who are the coaches that are really good? No, who are the gurus that are worth listening to?
0: Yeah. Show me the money. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So if they, they trade with us and use our platform, now they can see because everything is verified. None of they can edit. Mm -hmm. They cannot edit any, any fit. So you can see, right? So it adds credibility to them because I'm sure some of the coaches and some of the gurus, they're really good traders. So it adds credibility to them also. So at least you, you filter out some of the noise, right? Mm -hmm. And listen to the people who really, you know, walks the walk.
0: Yeah. I I just want to comment that, you know, that your 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 goal is kind of really noble and considering the, the total addressable market in the Philippines, like how like how I forgot the percentage again of how many people that it's, are on in the stock market. It's only
1: one percent of the hundred million.
0: Yes, yes. 2. So 2. considering 2. how if it you know, if it can become like in the US, like ninety ninety percent sixty percent of the people there are yes. you know, in, in the in the market. Be, yeah.
1: In the, typically in developed countries, it's around fifty to sixty percent of the mm-hmm. population trading, but in Southeast Asia, the normal number is really one one percent. Um, the highest I've seen is with um, Indonesia; they have five percent invested in the market. Mm-hmm. It's still very small. So if you look at our Southeast Asian counterparts, it's when it comes to percentages, it's still the same. But when when you look at the market cap of the companies, it's totally different. If you look at mm-hmm. Vietnam. Um, Vietnam 10 years ago is basically the same size as the Philippine market. But because mm. they, they had a lot of initiatives um, that, that uh, basically catered to the stock market, they grew five, 10 times over the past years. Um, and uh, yeah, five to 10 times they, they grew. So we, we, we were left behind. Um, and imagine in, in Vietnam, I was talking to them, they don't have day trading. Whoa, if you buy a really? stock. It's because how the settlement uh, works. So it takes mm. them two days to deliver the stock to you. So after two days, you can sell your stock. So there, there's no okay. day trading at all in, in Vietnam. When they were <laughs> talking to me, they were surprised. So oh, in Philippines, you, you have day trading in Philippines? That's wonderful. <laughs> but how can you day trade with the cost so high? right? Yes. But in Vietnam, the cost is so low. Um, but again, if you look at the volume, their volume is really like times still times 10 of the local market, even without day trading. Mm-hmm. because they have the infrastructure in place because more people are, are participating. They're putting more money uh, in the local market. So that's what I wanted also for the Philippines. Again, these are mm-hmm. our neighbors. Um, we all have a lot of similarities. Again, for them, during COVID, it's also purely locals, the foreigners went out. So we see a lot of similarities. If they can do it, why can't we? So somebody has yes. to start it. Right? Yes. Again, the time, um, the time is so small. It's something yes. like <laughs> I, I'm having a hard time um, talking to the larger funds because they want a, a company with a large TAM, and they mm-hmm. keep on telling me to you know cross cross borders, do other markets, and I tell them no, we have to do something for the Philippines. And it's really mm-hmm. hard. It's really hard. And I, I hope. Uh, but it's um, a
0: it's it's a growing TAM. I mean, over time, it it's, it's increasing. Th- yeah. So so why not? <laughs> yeah. So now I I want to transition into um the psychology you know um so I I want to ask like what kind of psychology does one need to be a successful quant trader as I as I believe this warrants a different kind of mindset than doing long term investing
1: okay yeah um, for a successful quant trader, you have to have trust in the model that you did or the system that you did. Right. It's the same as if you were a systematic trader. So you do this system from start to finish, meaning position um signals, your buy and sell, your risk management, your position sizing, everything. After doing that, you have to trust what you did. Right? You have to stop, you know, you know, uh, rationalizing everything and giving into your emotion. You have to to understand and trust the process that's why it's very important for me to create the first product which is vini tracking your metrics because you have to understand Mm -hmm. if you backtest your model over let's say five ten years and you say okay my average win rate is um 40 percent and i have a risk reward ratio of two uh two two to one right but in times of bear markets right now you see your win rate dwindle down to like 20 15% because you keep on cutting your losses right and it's part of the system and then when when you know markets are rallying you'll see your win rate go back to the average and even to exceed that so th- you have to understand and you have that you have to have that mentality that um you know you to trust the model that you did right it's not all the time that you're going to have 40% you know win rate day in day out um it it moves And then everything just Mm -hmm. averages out. Um uh, one so other people when you know that happens like now, especially for trend following models, they keep on cutting their losses and the win rates go down. Now they get scared and they think the model's not working. No, actually the model's working as intended, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that cycle. We're in that that cycle. So what they do is they cut this strategy and then create a new strategy that that works in that environment. So there's a shift in strategy and then it mm-hmm. starts working because, you know, you, you create a, uh, you created a strategy for, for that environment. And then when it changes again to something like a market that's rallying, you see your positions get stopped out very, very often. Like you take profits too soon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, and then you wanted to buy back. You can't buy back anymore because everybody's breaking out. They're not pulling back. And now you change your system again. Say, Hey, I am not getting into these <laughs> nice trades because. Uh, suddenly, from a trend-following model, it shifted to a mean-reversion model, meaning a pullback model. And then now I have to go back to a trend-following model again. Right? So mm-hmm. you have to trust your your model and stick to it. Now, if you want to create a different model to supplement your current model, you can do that. Right? You can. That's actually what I also recommend. If you have a trend-following model, it's gonna work well when the market's trending. But in choppy market, it's not gonna work so so well. So if you have another model. For for choppy markets like mini version models, pullback models, you do that simultaneous, right? And it's gonna smoothen out your equity curve, right? But you don't shift like turn this off, turn this on. You're not gonna make money <laughs> that way, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminded me of uh, the story that you know, if you know, you know, Jim O'Shaughnessy. He's also a quant, hmm. and I- uh, yeah, and then he he kind of shared that. Uh, in the 2008, you know, financial crisis, um, all the quants that he know, you know, abandoned their their system when when it was working as intended. That is, as you said earlier, and he's like the few ones that you know did not abandon their model because that's what it's expected to do. And you know, those short term, you know, losses are just short term. And when you know, in 2010, it came back rallying again. He it, it, it made so much money because he did not abandon his model. Yeah so, <laughs> yeah. So that's a good uh, kind of uh, psychology to have and mm-hmm. it's also the same with investing you know you don't it's also because it's long term and if you because <clears throat> those kind of losses are kind of expected and in long term investing you don't need like all of your holdings to to be winners it only takes one or two to become you know ten baggers to really yes. uh, accumulate your your wealth. So yeah, it's it kind of relate also. Yes. And I I want to ask like, so to to the people like listening here and in the podcast now, any tips that you can um, tell them to, if they are interested in entering quant trading, and are there any like things to do first or questions to ask yourself if you'd want to enter the space to to know if yeah. you can you can do this.
1: Basically, it's the same questions as, um, uh, we asked to somebody who wants to get into systematic trading. So number one is you have to learn and understand yourself. What kind of investor am I? Mm -hmm. What kind of trader am I? Am I a short term trader? Am I longer, long term trader? Right. Do I want trend following or primarily, or do I want, you know, to buy pullbacks? Do I want to buy, um, you know, you know, stocks that have been sold off uh, extremely? Right, you have to un- understand yourself because you're the only ones who can can c- that can say. Um, there, there's so many models out there that's available uh, online, but not all, everything will work for you. I mean, even if you copy one model, it's not gonna work hundred percent for you because every one of us is unique. You have to understand yourself. Um, again, you have to understand that this is a lifestyle. This is not a hobby. This is a business. It, mm-hmm. Um. And it also will affect your personal life, your personal finances. Now, if you're uh, into a trend-following model, you have to understand that the drawdowns, meaning um, the your equity curve from the peak to the to the trough, right, could be larger than other other models. Right? They might you make big money during trends, but you also they typically also suffer large drawdowns. Now, can you afford that drawdown? Um, do you have the appetite for that? Right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of things that you have to do first before you actually go do the model. You have to understand yourself. And I suggest everybody to write this down. It's it's a business plan, right?
0: And, yes, yes.
1: And uh, this money I'm going to put in, um, how long can I you know, leave that there? A year, three years, five years? right? If it's only a few months, then... You know don't do trend following models for if you're just going to put it there for three months right so you have to look at yourself first now if everything you have written down everything you understand your business um you understand yourself then you start looking at, at models so what kind of models or what kind of indicators would work well with what i want to achieve right mm-hmm. um if i want you know quick trades you know, you can look for mean reversion models, um, If you indicators, these are the stochastics, the RSIs, right? You don't typically, you, you, you can use moving average, but not in the way that's used by trend following um, uh, mm-hmm. traders, right? Because for trend following, what they do is if they see the, the price moves above the moving average, they, they buy it, right? And then they hold it as long as prices are above the moving average and they sell it when it starts to roll over. But for mean reversion, what you want to buy are stocks that are crossing below the moving average because the logic there is it's being oversold and it's mm-hmm. going to revert back to the mean.
0: Yeah, bounce back, yeah.
1: Yeah, bounce back. So that might uh, work for you, right? Again, same indicators, different uses, depending on mm-hmm. your goal. So you have to understand first. That That's number one. After that, finding the correct indicators, correct model is really um, um not not the hardest part and then the next part is, you know, risk management. When do I get out?
0: Yeah, it's always that um, you know, in any in any kind of you know, investing or, you know, even doing business, you always need to assess your risks, you know, your risk appetite. <laughs> how 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 much money you can afford to lose. Yes. So yeah, it's it's the same. Because in yeah. paper so it's I, very nice. Mm-hmm. We we
1: show you like, okay, our model we can give you like Um, 20% compounded returns every year. But, um, (laughs) can you really stomach the drawdown? Right. Um, on, on paper, you'll say yes. I mean, yeah, because I'm making 20% (laughs) compounded every year. If you give me a fifth, a 15% drawdown, I'll take it. No, it's okay. (laughs) But when you're there, when you're already trading and you're experiencing it firsthand, you might not be able to stomach that. Right. So you have to really, you know, look at it and really understand what you're getting into
0: yes i'm curious um because about this is about personal finance and i'm curious because you know if if someone is doing um trading for a living how 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 could they structure their personal finance because as we can as we can expect expect um your earnings or income per month can be lumpy depending on the market so how how should the uh, a trader's structure their personal finance. Again,
1: if you're trading for a living, you have to understand that equity is just one, f- one part of your whole portfolio. right? Mm. So depending on your you know, personal expenses, what your plans are, um, you can have a larger allocation in interest-bearing notes or products right? and a smaller portion in, in equities, forex, or other alternative mm. investments. It would vary. But again, it's always going to be a part of a larger portfolio. Right. If you're gonna say I'm trading for a living, but it's only purely stocks, uh, it's really very difficult. Unless you know you're trading, you know, very large amounts and you have a very low uh, monthly expense. Right? But if, if that's the case, then again you have to diversify. A lot of them, you portion. If you don't want interest bearing notes, then put it into REITs, like dividend paying stocks. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the same. It's all about you know construction, constructing the, yeah. the portfolio. Right, so that you have a buffer um, and then yeah, yeah then, again it, it varies from person to person if the person you know has a strategy that you know can make quick trades consistently all throughout and he wants to put all money in there then it's up to him if he can do that but um we we know markets can be very fickle right mm-hmm. one one event can you know <laughs> reverse everything uh and he yes. experience that.
0: So yeah, this have this have been this has been a really lovely conversation with you. I, I really enjoyed and I learned a lot actually. Yeah, but I I, I saw a different side into trading because I, I personally I don't really like trading. I I, I have bad views about that. But um, after talking to you now, I'm, I'm having more you know respect and um in, in towards that field. So i re- I really appreciate this conversation and. Before I go, uh, to the last part of the show where I ask a question on, on my guest, um, where can people find you and con- connect more with you?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm in, uh, LinkedIn. Just search my name, uh, Mike Tan. And then, um, on Twitter, I'm very active. Um, my mm-hmm. Twitter handle is VAI analytics. And then you can visit our website, vini.ph. So you can find me there.
0: Yeah, I will, I I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. So for people to see. So this is the question uh, I ask my guests uh, every end of the show and which I kind of rip off in another, you know, um, popular <laughs> investing podcast. Uh, I, I asked this guest, uh, I, I asked this question um, in every guest of the show. So the question is, what worries you and also excites you about the future? What's that thing that keeps you awake at night? You know, may it be a financial trend or any problem that that comes into your head when I ask you this.
1: Okay, it's a chicken and egg, we we have a chicken and egg problem in the Philippines when it comes to um, the Philippine stock market. Okay, so mm-hmm. a lot of people, um, a lot of investors abroad, um, regional investors, they actually want to invest in the Philippines, but what's holding them back is the liquidity in the local market, but we can't get that liquidity if they don't come in. So, so that that's actually the, the problem that I don't know how to solve yet. Um, it keeps me awake at night. Um, it's something that we actually need to solve. The regulators need to solve, um, um, to, to basically benefit all of us because if they come in, um, there's going to be so much more liquidity in the local market there's going to be so much more activity people will make money in the local market and it's gonna help the economy so that that's the main thing that um uh, that that worries me again i i've been talking to you know family offices they they like to invest in the philippines and then they look mm-hmm. at the liquidity and say oops uh maybe I have just a small amount okay uh maybe i there's still gonna you know diversify in southeast asia so they're going to put money in singapore in vietnam indonesia in philippines uh and thailand so that that's how they think so how do we get the larger pie of the investment in southeast asia right so that, that's a question that we we need to to answer that so so that we can you know improve the local local market
0: so so now um what what excites you about the future
1: <laughs> now what excites me about the future is that I've seen how sophisticated Filipinos are uh, in trading when, when they mm-hmm. all went into Bitcoin. So now <laughs> I, I see them you know using so many more tools, so many more you know, styles of analysis, um, And the, that, that's what actually excites me. You know, ideas excites me. You know, seeing everybody, you know, level up their game excites me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's not gonna stop. There's going to be more and more ideas, you know, um coming around go that, that will go around and more and more trading styles to be invented or basically work, right? So that that excites me. The, the, the possibilities are, are limitless, right?
0: That's a really lovely and I really and I like it that you're really Optimistic on the Filipino people. So yes, again, thank you, Mike Tan, for, for this um, um, conversation. I hope you also enjoyed our conversation as much as I do. So yeah, thank you. And I hope in the future I can have you again in the show.
1: Yes, sure, I did. I did con- enjoy your conversation. Thank you for having me.